Now for part two on documenting dreams. When you think about, you know, your memories and, and specifically your childhood memories, what are, what is your first and best childhood memory? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so, so one that's, there, there, there are lots. I had, I had a grad, I had a beautiful, colorful, rich um, childhood. Um, you know, we weren't hurting for anything. We weren't rolling in money either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, my parents, did the absolute best to, to 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 provide and expose and 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 give us um you know every opportunity that 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 they felt like they could they could possibly provide um one one that one 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 childhood memory that stands out and I'll, I'll tell you why um I was on the playground um at Sarah Rawson Smith Elementary um uh in the northern part of the city of Atlanta and um I must have been in third grade at the time and there are about four uh, friends all boys because you know everything boy and girl separated that age right right uh, and uh, we were uh, you know sort of at the the, the early uh, early stage of the hip-hop era so we were out on the playground and we were rapping to each other like we were making <laughs> making up raps uh, turns and yeah, freestyling, taking turns and uh, and sharing, you know, sharing these very you know, third grade level verses with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and and one of the friends in that group um, was was a, a a young boy by the name of Andre Benjamin. Mm. Um, you know who who uh, yeah, Andre <laughs> Three Stacks, who uh, obviously grew up grew up to have a very successful. Um, rap career. I bring that up because um, one, like, you know, I think that we often associate greatness and a high level of uh, achievement with some, I don't know, like, untouchable, um, rare gift, right, that only certain folks are born with or whatever the case may be, right? And I think that, um, you know, just that lesson that greatness is all around us constantly, and you never know who um, is going to be, um, you know, the next Andre 3000, or um, you know, we don't know who the, who the next Janelle Haynes is, or the next Chuck Meadows, or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. It, it, you know, the, 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 these opportunities, this, you know, greatness lives around us. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, if you combine folks' talent and interest and, 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 and with their with their opportunities and resources. Like greatness, greatness can happen um, on 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 many many scales, and so that's that's a memory that sticks out, you know, and and you know something that has meaning to me even today, some uh, forty years later. Yeah. Um, just in terms <laughs> of you know wh- where greatness lives and where it lies and and how it's mm-hmm. how it's how it's everywhere. Yeah, but <laughs> pretty dope memory if I can say so myself. <laughs> So I have, if we go back a little bit to Jim Adams, you know, I, I, one of the things that I feel like is a little known fact that I would share with people about you in, in the space where we were working, right? So for our listeners who don't know, I actually got to be an employee in some ways, if you want to think about it like that, um, of yours. Uh, and it's, it was so funny, you know, talk about surprising people. I was like, you know, Chuck, actually a great cook. Like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he owned this dope restaurant, you know, on the west side, and you know, he competed in this burger competition, and everybody's like, what? 
And I'm like, yes. And I said, my family, we go out and try to find the best burgers. And the burger we have yet to find to compete with is the bougie burger. So please, (laughs) for our listening audience, I have two questions. One, how did you come up with the concept? Because it is a great burger. And then two, um, what is your favorite thing to prepare? Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a great, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, so, um, just taking a step back, you know, because there was a sort of a path to the burger, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the, the whole goal of Jim Adams, again, I'm, I have farming in my family that goes back. Um, literally, um, we can, we have the deed that, um, um, my, well, they were, they were, they were literally my great, great aunt and uncle. Uh, and so when they uh, were free from slavery um, over in sort of the eastern part of Georgia, um, they uh, farmed a piece of land um, that they uh, were, that the government helped them finance it. Uh, they had to purchase it and pay it off. So they purchased it, paid it off, raised a family there, um, and several of their um, children then went off and purchased land and farmed successfully. So generations of successful farming in the family that was starting to, or is starting to die out a little bit just as folks get older. Mm-hmm. And I saw that and really wanted to try to find an opportunity to to build on that. Also knowing, right, that there's a need in Atlanta and lots of metropolitan areas for just access to high quality, fresh, locally grown produce. And so Jim Adams was a business that, um, you know, was a farming and like I said, food service retail business. And so we were connecting folks to locally grown produce um, by, you know, we had a retail storefront that was a farmer's market as well as um, a quick service, casual dining restaurant. And um, of course, you know, locally grown beef makes great, <laughs> makes for some great burgers. Yes, indeed. So, uh, <laughs> working with uh, um, several chefs that were hand selected. And that's when I pushed back a little bit. So I, um, to the extent that I could be considered a cook at all was, was, it was only because I was learning from, um, in, individuals on the team that we built. Right. And so we went and saw after, uh, three particular chefs who specialize in, um, one of them specializes in vegan, um, foods. One of them specializes in healthy, good tasting recipes, specifically with a Southern, with a Southern flair. Right. And so working with that team, we built a number of recipes for, for lots of different things, sauces and um, uh, chicken salad and uh, lots of lots of great things. And so burger was really just a combination, bougie burger was a combination of some great, some great locally raised beef um, with a particular sauce that was made in house mm. uh, that one of those chefs d- developed, you know, offered the recipe for. And so we were just uh, replicating the, the, you know, running the play that that, that, that particular chef called that sauce on that burger with some uh, sauteed mushrooms and onions. Uh, yeah, still one of the, still may be the best burger that uh, <laughs> in my, Damn. in my, <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of many things that I miss about the restaurant, we had a two year run and ended up uh, succumbing to market forces, I think is what I'm supposed to say, but we eventually ran out of business. Uh, margins are tight in that type of operation, but uh, yeah. I'm still proud of the two year run that we had, especially, you know, building. 
under my leadership, um, uh, and I, I point that out because I didn't have you know right restaurant or, or, or retail experience coming in, but but was able to um, pull some folks together um, and a great team of individuals um, who shared the same passion. And so, to the extent that we were able to enjoy some success, it was because of of those individuals bringing their talents in different ways um, and bringing together something I think it was I still think was very special and something that that hasn't been replicated. And yeah, definitely look back to, look look forward to to, to bringing it back uh, in some form down the line. Uh, hopefully yeah. not too far down the line. No, that would be really good because it was also a gathering spot, if I can say that, for many families, those, you know, that you knew and some that you didn't know or, or came to know, um, would come to know. And it felt good to be in a city like Atlanta and be able to get a touch of our ancestors, right? You know, in front of us, on, whether it was on the table, where you, whether you were eating it or just feeling it. And I think the best experiences come from those authentic ideas, right? So, Absolutely. you know, you brought up your pa- your family's legacy of, you know, land and sustaining that land and that property. And it just made me think about Ayers Estate. And there are very few um, states in the United States who don't fall under that law. And so I'm just curious, how was your family able to, well, talk about Ayers Estate for one, and then, then also kind of help me understand how your family was able to maintain and sustain that land, specifically in, you know, in the deep South where so many families are losing you know, those valuable properties because they don't have, you know, either understanding or they're those who have migrated north and are just like, I'm, I'm not going back. You know what I mean? And that that land is going to be it's going to be what it is. Somebody gave me a chunk of money. I'm good. But there's still family that exists on those properties. And then that heirs estate comes into place. And then, you know, um, things get the lines get blurred and people lose out. And so talk yeah. about how you all were able to maintain that and then and, and there's a state for our listeners who, who don't know exactly what that means. Yeah. So I mean I, and, and I'm not I'm not the expert to to delve deeply into that topic myself. I'm still still have some things to learn. I can tell you about I guess my family's experience in particular and and ways in which I think it really it really links it, it links in my mind to how broken our food economy is. Um, mm. So we talk about farming, and honestly, specifically black farming um, in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, our our local food economy is 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 broken. And so just to just to give you a little bit of history about how this particular property has sort of been through different iterations in our family, right? And so um, it was it was purchased outright. It was um, it was paid off. Uh, my um, great uncle you know, Jim Adams was the biggest property owner on his street, and so the street, the, the practice is to name that street after the biggest property owner. And so, um, mm. uh, Jim, the farm sits at the end of, uh, of Jim Adams Drive, right? And so, um, uh, started as a traditional or con- conventional uh, farm. And really grew. Um, I give uh, so one of Jim Adams' descendant, uh, Willie Adams, um, was a farmer, or still is a farmer on that property, and has been for many decades. And he enjoyed a lot of success, um, and built the land up to uh, an industrial scale farm, right? And so he was actually for a while one of the very few 
farmers in the northern part of the state that had con a contract uh, with McDonald's to produce chicken for chicken nuggets, for example, right? And so that type of scale, um, several very large um, chicken houses where they're producing, you know, um, thousands of pounds of poultry on a regular basis. Wow. Um, my cousin actually stepped back from that type of farming um, because he saw some of the problems inherent with it, right? So mass mm -hmm. production, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that industrial scale um, typically lends itself to using high amounts of pesticides, mm -hmm. uh, inorganic fertilizers, mm -hmm. um, herbicides that can be harmful um, to the environment on a larger scale, right? Um, just lots of, of practices that are common in industrial farming that aren't necessarily good for the, aren't good for the earth. And so he actually converted the farm from this industrial scale to a farm that that, that focused on sustainable practices, right? Um, and so that that those sustainable practices tend to take a lot of the machinery and a lot of automation out. Uh, and honestly, it, it, it makes the farm more productive from, you know, just from a healthy, high quality produce standpoint. Um, but it is a little bit, is a bit more labor intensive. And so, um, if you're a farm that's looking to make that pivot, then, um, it can be a challenge. It can be, it can, it can be difficult and it can be difficult to raise produce at the scale to where you have those contracts with those larger, um, retailers that are going to provide you the, the financial resources to make it economically sustainable. Uh, and so that is the kind of, that is the pitfall that we fall into. And that's because the market still values, unfortunately, the, the, the farmer who can ship truckloads of strawberries from 2000 miles away, right. Mm -hmm. Versus mm -hmm. the farm that can produce on a much smaller scale, a locally grown, you know, mm -hmm. naturally mm -hmm grown uh, strawberry right and so we we the the economy that food economy in many ways is still broken and it's having an impact on all of our farmers but mm -hmm. it's definitely played a role in what i would refer to as the demise of independently owned and operated um you know black farms in georgia which is a part of our economy it's just part of our agricultural history in this state right you know folks mm -hmm. who came out of literally came out of slavery, purchased land, and, and immediately became productive contributors to that agriculture economy. Um, the, the model for that has just shifted and changed and broken in many, in many ways. Um, uh, and we're losing, you know, a lot of our history and quite, and equally as bad, losing access to, to healthy, locally grown produce, unfortunately. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, that story needs to be shared more often and, and people, you know, going back to you explaining things and making it relatable that's something in the african-american community we can all relate to in some capacity everybody whether you you know midwest the furthest north if you black you got some family down south right that's like right. you know you tell people you go visit you know i don't care where it is new york pennsylvania you can go to chicago oh yeah i got family in north carolina mm -hmm. oh what's everybody goes down the same path what's the last name oh yeah right. you know that's right. uh, <laughs> And so, you know, I think it's so important when you make that connection because it reminds us that our roots are very much, you know, in the South, very much a part of slavery, every much, every, very much a part of going back to Africa. I used to joke all the time, 
but seriously, that everything comes from Africa. You know what I mean? And then, um, and people were laughing. Cradle of civilization. Listen, <laughs> you know, our our very being and the seeds, you know, of, of our bodies comes from Africa. I believe that. I know it to be true. I know the things that um, have evolved, whether it's clothing, uh, music, uh, food, of course. You know what I mean? Some of the ways that we think and manage ourselves in, in certain spaces is because of that background. And so, you know, I'm always intrigued and happy to hear that people are preserving some of that history. You know, where, whether it's here, you know, whether it's going back to figure out where your family come from and learning your lineage. And so that, that part of your story is so important, you know, for our listeners here today. So thank you so much, you know, for sharing that. And it leads into, we're almost done. Um, Cause you have so much to share. I, I would love for us to talk more. So perhaps, you know, episode 26, since 13 hey. seems to be your lucky number, which is double the luck, right? There you go. Um, <laughs> um, that, you know, we talk about legacy. And so is, we know this is absolutely a part of that legacy and that story, but you know, what do you hope to be your legacy or your living legacy? Yeah, uh, you know, that, that, that's where that bridge builder comes in. I mean, that's, that's what I want my, 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 my legacy to be. Um, you know, I think back to a conversation that I had with a Morehouse professor my freshman year at Morehouse. And I was telling him how, you know, I was this charged up kid out of, uh, out of out of Washington Park that was ready to make a difference and, and impact the world and, and just kind of take things over and shake things up uh, and be this, you know, this, this, this uh, aggressive, active, um, high stakes difference maker. And um, he he talked me down from that, which was a shot at first, right? Uh, it was um, one of the tougher conversations I had, I'd had, right? Because I couldn't understand why, you know, this Morehouse professor would, you know, do what I felt as, you know, sort of throw cold water on the fire that was within yeah. me. Yeah. And his his point was, once I, <laughs> once I calmed down enough to listen, <laughs> was that, you know, if you take this approach, um, where, you know, you're this loud and, and visible, you know, um, person that comes and shakes things up and overturning tables and, and tossing, tossing the old way out and all this kind of stuff. He said, they're going to see you coming and they're going to make sure that you don't get a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You're going to be excluded. You're going to be relegated. Uh, and you may make a few changes, a few small changes in a relatively small space but you will not get the opportunity to affect the type of change that you are looking to make. And that was a wake up call for me. And in many ways, what even now sort of drives the way I approach things. And so, um, you know, if, if you can't gain trust, if you can't build relationships, if you can't garner respect, if you can't um, give folks a reason, right, to, to include you, um, you will never get close enough um, to have the impact that you want to have. And, and so that, that conversation there, you know, did a lot to, to help me pivot and, 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 and adopt, uh, what I think has been a successful approach to, to driving change, which is, you know, again, you know, building those bridges, looking for opportunities to have an impact, right. And then figuring out, uh, and, and then it, and a lot, it involves a lot of listening. A lot of relationship building, a lot of listening, a lot of gaining confidence, uh, a lot of, and, and, and not just 
um, building relationships for the sake of building relationships, but it, it's it's understanding where people really are, listening for understanding and understanding what those true needs are and not marching in with what you think is the answer to their problems, but listening to what they feel and want and need uh, and then developing a corresponding action plan, right? And that's that in my mind is that bridge, right? You, you if, if it's between two different sets of people, two different groups of people, two different groups of stakeholders, if it's the bridge between an unsolved problem and that solution, you know, um, whatever that is, that's 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 where I feel like I do best. And that's what allows me to, you know, to run a restaurant even though I have no no food service experience because I am going to look for, look to bring together the people with the expertise, with the perspective, with the resources, um, with the needs, right? And build bridges across those groups and, and make those connections. And that's where, you know, that that's, that's where I feel like there's a lot of um, just untapped power, right? And bringing folks who aren't together together for a particular purpose or for a particular cause. Absolutely. And, you know, as you are building that legacy and creating those bridges, um, or building the bridges for all of us to walk across or connect, you know, there's people supporting you, you know, and you know what I mean? There are people backing yep. you. So if you had to name, you know, one of the people that's in the trenches that gets the least amount of credit, who would that be? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, not many people would know her name, but uh, there's a, a, a I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say her name out loud, but uh, Renee Blumenthal. Okay. So Renee, um, in many ways, um, opened several doors for me um, that very and very few people are aware of just the impact that she has had on my career and my life in general. So um, when I uh, finished Morehouse, um, I finished grad school at Harvard, I was looking for a job. I was thinking I would probably go to D.C. or New York or somewhere where the job market was a little bit more uh, had a little bit more opportunity for someone with um, the type of education I had. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm tossing my resume out to different people in different places. And um, Renee saw my resume and um, created a position for me uh, in the governor's office uh, here in Georgia. So I was able to come home, uh, immediately use my degree and immediately plunge into a position where I was able to have kind of the kind of impact that I was looking, right? The opportunity to have the kind of impact that I was looking to have. And so as I was 23, mm. is that right? Yeah. No, maybe a little older than that. No, probably like 25, uh, 26. Oh yeah, about 20, yeah, 24, 23, 24, somewhere in there. Okay. And, um, I was deputy policy director um, for uh, for Governor Roy Barnes at the time because because Renee saw saw me, took a chance on me, and said, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to give you this opportunity." So she was policy director. She hired me as her deputy, and I was working on things like economic economic development. Right. So immediately having this opportunity to to drive. Um, you know, to, to make a difference um, for my home state, right? And lots of, and, and, and do lots of powerful and impactful things because of that opportunity. And so I did that, um, that opportunity parlayed, you know, sort of sort of created other, um, other, uh, other opportunities for me. Um, uh, several years down the road, she um, <laughs> offered uh, me a job at City Hall. And so um, I was able to move from the state level to, um, to City Hall. At the time, I was working in the finance department. But, and again, it was an opportunity where um, 
so in a particular instance, there was a, a, a department that needed to be rebuilt. And so I was part of that rebuild and then was able to um, take sort of ownership or, or lead um, the rebuild um, of the Office of Budget and Fiscal Policy. And I eventually became the chief of that office. Mm. Uh, and then further down the road again, um, uh, the, my, my entry into the Metro Atlanta Chamber where I eventually became Vice President of Public Policy was an opportunity that Renee um, brokered it for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think people from the outside saw, well, you know, when, you know Chuck's doing his thing. He's moving from here to there and right, you know, right, right. leveraging these opportunities and that kind of thing. And a lot of times what people don't know is that it, it may be one person, right, that um, that believes uh, believes in us. And if we're managing that relationship well and, and you know, doing right by that one person, and one person can make a huge difference, right, in, 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 in your career. So there, there are at least three entries on my career. Uh, as far as, as in my in, ter- in terms of uh, positions that I've held, that you know, there's one person that was largely responsible for for that, and of course, you sort of build that experience, and then you can go off and do other things. But um, yeah, she's she's definitely someone who you know most folks don't know her name, and 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 and, and even fewer folks are aware of um, the type of um, just space she placed in me. Mm. Um, and 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 uh, the doors that she opened for me, and you know what that does is I, I feel equally compelled to do that for other people, right? Because I wouldn't be here if if it weren't for that type of outreach, right? That individual outreach, uh, and so I feel compelled to do that for others as well. Oh, absolutely! Pay it forward. Yeah. Pay yeah. it forward. Okay, this is the last portion, but also one of my favorite portions of the okay. show. It's called "Finish These Statements." All right. All right. I am. I am still growing. Okay. My favorite song is. Oh man. So I, you know, it's hard to pick one. But, um, <laughs> I had to pick one favorite song. Um Overjoyed by Stevie Wonder. Ooh, that was a song that Jerry and I walked out on our uh, at the end of our wedding. How about that? All right. All right. I love it. I love it. I love it. My why is. My why is um, because there are people who 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 I would there are people who need me. There are people who need me. Agreed. People think I am, but I am really. <laughs> people people think that I am an extrovert. But I really need alone time <laughs> <laughs> to become introverted. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. If I don't have that that sit by myself time, yeah. I, I never would never be able to do anything. You got to bring it down. We'll, we'll save it. I like that. <laughs> I get really nervous when I get really nervous when. I when I evaluate myself as a parent, and when, when I reflect on how much these these two little uh, lives that that uh, their mom and I are responsible for, um, that 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 makes me nervous. Joyful, yeah. anticipation, all those types of things, but but nervous as well. Shout out to the Meadows girls. They're doing their work. If they're making you nervous, they're doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> okay. When I hear blank, I'm running to the dance floor. Ooh. 
Ooh. Um. I would say Southern hip hop from the nineties. Mm, okay. You like I so I didn't pick one song. I was gonna say you you, you, you were you were very specific, but not really. <laughs> right. Let's be clear. Here's a region. <laughs> and here's the genre. reason in the time frame. Right, right. right. there you go. Pretty much anything the there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So take all that. Take all that. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the lines too. Oh, um, just about every Outcast or Goody Mob song ever made, for the most part. Appropriately so. <laughs> <laughs> Rise up. Um, okay, can't stop, won't stop. Um. Ooh. I can't stop, won't stop striving to do what's right. I can't, yeah, yeah. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Well, family, that concludes episode 13 of Documenting Dreams. Thank you so much to my extra special guest who believes that he's just an ordinary guy, but he's really doing extraordinary things as this extraordinary person. I'm so grateful to know you and for your gift of being a bridge builder. I truly believe when we start to put one foot in front of the other and walk in our gift, it makes room for us. And you are definitely doing that as a pillar in this community. You give back and you do it without thinking about it, considering the least of these. And so the blessings that will come from that, that ability that you have to pay it for in those spaces are, I know, well, I know will be in abundance and we'll get triple fold. So thank you so much for being that thank person. Thank you. Being that thank friend. you. Thank you for what you're doing. This is great. I enjoyed it. I, I'm and, so and glad. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you for what you're doing. This is important work. Thank you so much. This is my happy place and I'm glad that you got to be a part of it. So absolutely. enjoy the rest of your day and thanks again for being here. All right. Thank you.